Hello and welcome, pet people and pet professionals. We are back today with a second installment of interesting animal jobs that hopefully maybe you haven't heard of or you just don't know too much about. So our first interesting animal job for today is going to be none other than a zookeeper. And I know that this one is probably a pretty common one for people to think of, but I feel like a lot of people aren't necessarily aware of what all goes into being a zookeeper. So let's dive on in. So most of the time, zookeepers are going to be required to have a bachelor's degree in something like zoology, animal biology, conservation sciences, something like that. And in addition to those education requirements, you're also going to need experience actually working hands-on or volunteering hands-on with animals. So it looks like the process of becoming a zookeeper is going to take anywhere from four to six years. Now, there can be a lot of competition for these positions. Most people tend to stay in these jobs long term. So there aren't as many, well, there aren't as many opportunities for the turnover and there aren't as many of these positions available in the first place as there are applicants. Internships and volunteer work and a very focused education are going to be your best bet at making the top of the resume pile. The salary is going to, it's, it's pretty varied actually, so it can be anywhere from twenty-five to 55000 a year. It's not a great salary. It's something that probably most people get in and stay in for the love of the animals. So as a zookeeper, your responsibilities are going to be things like feeding animals their proper diet, cleaning the enclosures, zoo guest and other like public outreach, as well as enrichment and sometimes even the training of the animals. So obviously these are pretty highly coveted jobs and there are definitely some drawbacks. <laughs> so just to keep everyone's eyes wide open, I'll let you know a few of those. A huge part is that there's if there's ever a problem with an enclosure or an animal or even just like inclement weather, you may have to just drop everything and go to tend to your critters. Now why you might ask? Because the zookeepers know the animals better than any of the other staff. So they always are on the lookout for potential health problems and injuries and are basically always on call. Because if there's something that's out of the norm, the zookeeper is going to be the one that can tell. There are also always potential risks associated with working around any animals, but especially with the larger and undom undomesticated animal types, like the ones that you would see in a zoo. They carry a little bit of a, an extra risk. So I went looking, speaking of risk, for which zoo animal might cause the most trouble. And I'm, <laughs> I'm a little shocked by which one I found. So I don't even have a funny way of saying it. I don't have a funny way of saying it. It's a zebra. A zebra get, gives the most injuries out of all of the zoo animals on like a yearly basis, which I just thought was odd. <laughs> 
And I also went looking for which animal is the stinkiest. And I'm pretty sure it's a safe bet that everybody in the audience is yelling, penguins! Because, I mean, you can smell their enclosure from, from halfway across the zoo. And if you're thinking this job is one where you just play with animals all day, you know, one of one of we animal professionals' favorite things to, to hear, <laughs> you'd be very, very wrong. Apparently, according to most zookeepers, about half of their work time is literally just shoveling up poop. Definitely not an easy or glamorous job. And I would definitely not con consider that to be just <laughs> playing with animals all day. I'd like to take a moment here to kind of go a little bit different route this episode and introduce what I'm hoping is going to be a new segment that we do on a regular basis. And we're going to call this the Animal Superstar Shoutout segment. And during this segment, we are going to just kind of highlight an organization or person who is doing something super for their animal community. And today's animal superstar shout out is going to Project Conus in Gainesville, Florida. So we'd like to welcome Paris Miller, the founder of Project Conus to the show. And I'm just going to let her go ahead and tell you what their whole organization is all about. Project Conus, uh, we are a 501c3 nonprofit organization started in 2020, originally by students at the University of Florida. Of course, some of us have graduated now. Um, <laughs> in short, is to ensure that every shelter animal gets a toy. Um, there's a couple different pieces within that. Of course, our main goal is to help animals in need, um, provide them with toys to support both their physical and emotional well-being um, and also sustainability. So we use recycled materials in all of our designs for toy making and we just encourage our volunteers to use materials that would otherwise be discarded. And um, basically how it works in practice is anyone can volunteer remotely um, using our instructions. We have three different toy designs that are all easy to make, no sewing, um, and then you can send the toys into us and we'll give them to shelters in need. Or of course you can drop them off locally yourself. If that's more convenient. Okay. Awesome. So you guys are in Florida, correct? Right. We are central in Florida. Um, we do have team members actually um, all over us. We've won Mexico, but yes, we do focus on Florida, although a lot of our donations have actually been outside of Florida. So we'll have people email us saying, I'm in California. Um, <laughs> and they'll either like mail us the toy or just drop them off somewhere in California. So we do have a bit of a broader scope and just focus okay. on Florida for the time being for where we mail our donations. Do you get a lot of toys that are made from like patterns that aren't from the ones that you've like the instructions that you guys have provided yes we definitely do it's like really interesting to see the creativity that people will come up with like I think one time we got a, a toy that was like a little penguin or something something crazy that you know some people they do want to take it to that next level um make it um, where they sew it or um you know we we 
we uh, support the creativity, but we just provide the three standard toy designs that are kind of easy for people to make as a baseline. Sure. Um, have is the braid, which is the easiest one. It's just basically a rope toy. So you just braid it, tie a knot at the end, super simple. Um, the next one is the crunch, which is um, more geared <laughs> for dogs of kind of giving them something hard to bite on, you know. Um, so that one actually uses a plastic water bottle on the inside. So take out the cap just to avoid any choking hazard. Um, basically okay. Fabric. That one, if it's a crazy dog, can be a little bit more destructible. <laughs> um, definitely um, recommend monitoring dogs um, with toys, of course, and just it's important to understand the animal and and sure. It. Um, and the last one is the plushie. So it's similar to a no sew blanket where you tie knots all around a sheet of fabric, and then we stuff them with just extra fabric from the other toys. So gets okay. rid of all the extra scraps. Very cool. Okay. So how did you get like inspired? What, what started this whole project? Yeah. So I founded Project Conus in 2020. So I'm executive director and also founder. I was really inspired by my volunteering and fostering, working with different shelters and just growing up with animals I've always had cats dogs turtles chickens <laughs> growing up so just something I've, I've always grown to love um I volunteered originally at Leon County Humane Society then into college um starting to foster my cat is a foster fail <laughs> and I also worked with different organizations um especially in college and high school that, you know, we would always want to have a service project, but you know, what, what do you do if you, if you don't have, you know, financial means or, um, you know, a way to, to transport people or, um, it was always just a challenge trying something that's accessible and free for everyone to participate in. Sure. So I kind of combined those two ideas, um, of an accessible way for everyone to volunteer. So not just helping animals, but also fitting the needs of these student organizations. And we do see a lot of our volunteers are in high school and college. Um, and we also provide service hours. So kind of meets their needs, especially during COVID. You know, I had this idea oh, yeah. before COVID, but <laughs> I think it became a bit of an opportunity for us where people need to volunteer remotely but couldn't go into the shelters and so this is a way that you can support shelters from home um and from there made the business plan found some other animal lovers at the university of florida um and then took off from there that's fantastic and i mean i can't think of a better way to use the crazy quarantine time than to help benefit all of the shelter pets out there Absolutely. Yeah. And people getting quarantine pets too, you know, definitely yes. an interesting time for animal shelters. Absolutely. It was just chaos still is. And I mean, I'm thrilled to see somebody looking out for all the little critters that are just waiting for their forever homes. So do you have like a, I don't know, like a quality control process to make sure that each of the toys is safe for the animals? How does that work? Yeah. So everything that goes through to our PO box, we 
take a look at. It gets repackaged. Um, our operations manager is amazing. And, you know, sometimes we get even toys that are maybe half made or just have a something wrong with them that we can just fix up really quick. Okay. We actually go to a shelter. Um, we, we send stickers back to the return addresses of everyone who volunteers with us that way. Okay. Um, and we make sure that, you know, we're meeting the needs of the shelters that we're sending them to. We have a survey. We we send them an information card so they kind of know where the toys are coming from, you know, suggesting supervision with toys, of course. Um, mm-hmm. Just want to make sure that the toys are impactful. And it's been, like, so motivating to see getting, like, shared on Facebook by these shelters after the fact. Yeah. Um, we get, like, cards from the volunteers saying, like, this was so fun for me and my son to make and thank you so much for this opportunity. And, you know, thank you for giving us service hours for school requirements. And um, it's just really cool seeing that it's not just helping animals, but it's also providing people a means to give back. Cause I feel like most people want to help animals, right? Absolutely. There, there might not be like an easy mean for them to do so if they can't do it financially, if they don't have time to go into a shelter. Mm-hmm. Um, so we really want to provide this opportunity to those people. It's a very symbiotic relationship that you're creating there. You're benefiting way more than, like you said, way more than just the the shelter animals. I, I think that's fantastic. And it's it has to be making a huge difference. Do you get a lot of positive feedback from the shelters and fosters that you work with about the toys? Oh, yes. It's so neat to see them posting pictures of <laughs> the toys with their animals. Um, we try to form really good partnerships with some shelters like the one in Gainesville that um, we also encourage local drop-offs to if people don't want to send them in. Um, and we've been able to go in there, give the toys to the animals, um, take pictures with them and just see like how it benefits them after, you know, having to stay in the kennel so long to give them that one-on-one socialization time. Absolutely. Can you let my listeners know as well where they can find your your work on social media, on the interwebs, wherever you'd like to be found? <laughs> yes, definitely. So we are the Project Conus. It's C-A-N-I-S on Instagram, um, Facebook, um, projectconus.org. We have printable instructions. We have videos um, walking you through the different toy designs. Um, we have a bonfire merch store if you want some of our merch that you know awesome. supports our organization. Um, feel free to reach out to us the projectconus at gmail.com. Um, anyone can volunteer with us. Um, we're also happy to you know, assist if you are trying to set up a service project, we have PowerPoint presentations, we're happy to, you know, hop on and assist with running certain events. Um, and also, we've been partnering with different businesses. If if you're a part of any kind of business that maybe wants to have a team bonding event that's focused on giving back to animals, um, that's something we've been happy to partner on. Awesome. And I will make sure to put links for all of the places that people can find you in like the show notes and everything. Well, thank you so very much for coming on the show. Amazing. It was so good to talk to you. I really appreciate what y'all are doing and 
so much need for education around different animal issues. <laughs> Well, thank you. And you guys as well. I mean, seriously, you couldn't make more of a difference than making sure that all the little shelter pets are happy and getting to just have a little bit of fun. Everybody needs a little bit of fun. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Paris, for coming on the show. I'm so glad that we were able to shout you out. All right, listeners, we are going to get back to our regularly scheduled programming here. So our next interesting animal job is going to be an animal cruelty investigator. Now, this is slightly different from an animal control officer, although sometimes they actually get lumped together so they turn into one one bigger job. And their requirements can vary, especially because of the fact that animal cruelty investigator and animal control officer can be lumped together. But most police forces in the U.S. will require for you to be 21 or older and have a degree in something like criminal justice or animal science, something that will bring relevant education. And then some states also require an additional and more specialized humane officer certification, even if you aren't working for an actual police department. You'll also need animal handling skills since you'll be interacting with a plethora of animals in any type of living conditions which will also mean potentially ill, abused, fearful, aggressive, and otherwise unruly animals. And anyone who works with animals knows those are the situations most likely to lead to injuries and other types of troubles and negative experiences. The estimated salary I found was on average around 35000 a year. Not even close to su- sufficient for this kind of physically and emotionally demanding, and not to mention dangerous, job. Responsibilities are going to include investigating potential animal cruelty cases, trapping and transporting animals to shelters and veterinary facilities, administering first aid in the field, enforcing animal welfare laws, interviewing pet owners and members of the community, and working with animal rights organizations to help deal with any number of animal-related cruelties and crimes. The most common form of animal cruelty is neglect, not necessarily violence. Neglect would be things like abandonment, chaining outside all the time, not having adequate food and water available, lack of proper veterinary care, and that goes for grooming as well, and leaving animals outside in dangerous weather conditions. Other frequent types of cases that tend to be seen are things like hoarding, where a person or a family has collected far too many animals for them to properly be able to meet any of their needs. Puppy mills, where there's a lot of dogs being born and not really being interacted with. They're sometimes kept in small cages and they're just not not cared for really in any of the ways that they should be. And then there's always dog fighting or cockfighting rings. Now, if you see or suspect any neglect or abuse of an animal, please speak up, contact your local authorities, and document absolutely everything that you can. Don't try to take the animals, as this is still considered theft and can actually get you into trouble. And also, you could also get hurt. 
Have you guys ever had to make a report of suspected cruelty? I have a little story myself. Um, I had a grooming client back when I lived out of Illinois for a little while that they had a, I want to say he was mostly Cocker Spaniel, um, and he had just been left outside 24 hours a day, seven days a week for like over a year. And most people know that a Cocker Spaniel is definitely a breed that is going to require regular grooming. And most of the time, leaving a dog that requires that kind of kind of heftier grooming on the regular basis outside is not a good idea. Leaving them outside is going to cause extra wear and tear on that coat, extra matting, extra dirt that causes all kinds of, you know, like skin infections, bruising from the tight matting, you name it. So, but unfortunately, this dog, his name was Bobo. Uh, he had not been, I'm not even sure if he had so much as been touched in over a year. And he was so matted that he had burns all around his his butt where like poo and stuff had gotten stuck in the hair and then held up against the skin and caused chemical burns and then he had matting so tight that around the the tops of his ears and around his limbs so all of his arms and legs and even like around the base of his tail were so tightly matted that I couldn't even get like a 30 blade underneath it which is, if you have listened to our other, like, our, I think our, it's our first listener tale episode, it's a surgical length blade. It's something that you would usually use to get the hair so short that you can see and, and uh, mess with the skin in ways that you would need to before surgery. And I couldn't get that through. And I was noticing such deep levels of like bruising that I wasn't sure if he was going to possibly lose a limb. So I immediately had to call the owners back and get them to, I told them, don't go and, and wait for your regular vet. You need to take him to an animal ER immediately, or there's a good chance he's going to lose a limb. And I reported them for the neglect and I never, I never got to hear anything after that, but I'm hoping that everything was okay. He was also, he was a senior dog too, which made it even more sad. It's, there's, there's no excuse for that. So I'm glad that there are animal cruelty investigators out there who are able to hopefully bring charges on people that, that do these kinds of things. Now, my last interesting animal job for today is one that I've actually recently gotten some more interesting insight into um, while I was on my hunting honeymoon in July, and that is the farrier. A farrier is the professional that comes out to all of the area farms and works on reshaping filing and just tending to like the the health and safety of hooved animals feet 
and their shoes. So they're the ones that also usually have a little bit of blacksmithing going on and they're um, giving your horses a very, very fancy pedicure and then reshoeing them to, I guess, uh, keep up with the very, the, the growth of the hooves. Now, the average salary in the U.S., from what I could find, is about $50,000. And there are special schools to become a farrier, but it appears that most often, at least in the U.S., it's a trade learned through things like apprenticeship, and there's no specific certification required. So, again, pretty similar to the whole grooming aspect, if you remember from our first Interesting Animal Jobs um, episode where we talked about how there's a lot of animal related fields that there isn't any one specific thing required and usually you can learn the skills through things like an apprenticeship. Now that apprenticeship process can take one to two years. You'll need to know things like equine anatomy, a bit about their behavior, as well as some super casual skills like, oh, I don't know, blacksmithing. <laughs> And you're going to need a very patient and calm demeanor as horses can get very nervous. I mean, I see it all the time just with dogs and I'm not actually doing nearly the level of intensive work on their feet. I'm really just clipping the hair around it and then the tips of their nails. But if you've ever watched a farrier work, it's a lot more in depth. <laughs> So their responsibilities are going to be cleaning, trimming, shaping, and shoeing horses, making and adjusting the new shoes for each hoof. That's where the blacksmithing is going to come in. And then they're also going to be spotting injuries and potential illnesses, and it appears to also include a fair amount of traveling. Since you're kind of a more intensive mobile groomer at that point, you have to go from farm to farm, and farms can be spread out a little bit more than your average uh, like suburban houses. So I've always loved watching farriers work when I would take horseback riding lessons. Um, as a, a kid, I loved watching the farrier come and work on the horses. And it was, it was a really fun experience. The only thing is that I, <laughs> I knew I was going to have to rule out the uh, the possibility of being a farrier because I don't think my back could handle the amount of like bending over at the waist and craning over their the, the horse's foot that they're doing. It's kind of a bummer because I really do feel like it's a very interesting and very cool type of job. And I got to see a bunch more kind of in-depth information about it on my honeymoon because my husband and I went to um, Louisville, Kentucky, and we got to see the Churchill Downs Museum. And they had a whole section in there all about the various, um, like, farrier, there are competitions, and some of the most famous farriers in in the, the horse world. And then um, I even got to get from the gift shop a thrown shoe from off the track so it had been worn by a horse on the Churchill Downs track so that was a pretty cool thing I'm going to include some pictures that I took from that museum in um, the Instagram post for this episode so that people can see it because it's pretty cool stuff it's it's a very highly skilled 
job. It's nothing to laugh at for sure. Like it's so many disciplines all coming together to create one product. And it kind of gives me those like almost medieval times vibes too, because of the whole like blacksmithing of it all. And I don't know, I just love those types of things where it's like hearkening back to a, a different time period. It's interesting. Now, I also uh, I f found out how often horses need to see their farriers because I wasn't aware of that until I was doing this research. And it's apparently pretty similar to dogs and their grooming schedules. Horses need to see their farriers about every four to six weeks. And now I also got curious what it costs to have a farrier come and shoe your horse. And it's apparently around $50 to $150 per horse. So that can add up to over $1,300 a year per horse. So it's not an inexpensive service. Definitely very needed, but not inexpensive. Now, according to Steve, I'm so sorry, Steve, because I'm going to mess up your last name. Sermersheim, a certified journeyman farrier at the University of Illinois Veterinary Teaching Hospital, quote, we shoe horses for three reasons, protection, traction and correction protection from injuring the, the hoof traction to avoid falling and correction to modify any deformity of the hoof unquote i'm fascinated by this it's really interesting to think of the fact that we can custom make what amounts to a metal ring that goes i, I know it's not a closed ring but that's the best thing I could come up with that goes on the the hoof and then it will help to like say your horse is putting too much weight on one side of their hoof then they can easily fix that they can build up the um, shoe on one side so that it's kind of slightly elevating one side of the horse's hoof and causing them to put, bear their weight more evenly it's really cool just like custom orthotics for people but on an animal as large as a horse it's I don't know it makes it more cool for me so as I said I'm absolutely fascinated by watching farriers work I have I have no idea how they're able to determine which parts of the hooves to trim and which ones to leave alone but they do it so efficiently I swear it's like second nature for them I feel like it's got to be pretty similar to what people are always saying to me with the the nail trims whenever I do them where they're like, I don't know how you know where to stop. And I, at this point, I just kind of do. So maybe it's just that second nature for them too. <laughs> so obviously being a farrier is not going to be easy on your body especially your back, neck, and knees. I mean, think about it. Do you think it would feel good to be bent at like a 90 degree angle all day trying to hold a horse's leg still because then there's also like the fumes from forging the metal shoes and of course the risk of the horse itself kicking and hurting a farrier a spooked horse can be very dangerous and especially if you're up close and personal with their legs where they're able to do the most damage so similar to nail trims for dogs cats and our other household pets hoof trims are an essential part of horse health care and grooming so that's all I have on farriers it's very similar to how important it is to do nail trims for dogs cats and our other household pets but I feel 
probably way more important because there's a bit more of a medical aspect to it. If you think about it, they're correcting the horse's gait. They are noticing if there's any kind of like a sore or infection going on in that hoof. It's an essential part of horse healthcare and grooming. And as far as I can see, farriers are friggin' badasses. So thank you for listening to this installment of Interesting Animal Jobs. And as always, if you have a, a an interesting animal job that maybe I haven't covered that you'd like to hear more about, or how you've got a, a great job that you work yourself, let me know all about it. You can send your stories, episode suggestions, whatever you'd like to allforanimalspodcast at gmail.com. And as always, too, remember you can find us on social media. We are All for Animals Pod on Facebook and All for Animals Podcast on Instagram. We're usually more in, uh, more involved on Instagram. And we also have a TikTok now as well, All for Animals Podcast. So thank you guys for listening, and I'll see you next time. 